Friends, hello. I'm Brad Irwin, and this is my first try at making a podcast. So yes, what you're about to hear really is amateur hour. But give it a chance because the person you're about to meet is worth 45 minutes of low production quality. This podcast is about my dad, Travis Irwin. This is a milestone year for dad. In March, he turned 70. In December, he will retire after almost 50 years of ministry in the Church of Christ. Now, us Church of Christ folks don't use the word pastor, but no word fits dad better. The word pastor comes from the late Middle English and means shepherd. The dictionary defines pastor as someone who gives spiritual care to others. You can find two kinds of pastors in this world. One kind gets the title because he goes to school for it and a church hires him to do the job. The other kind of pastor is not a job title. It's a term of endearment. It's what people call you because you cared for them and were there for them in the best and worst moments of their lives. It's what people call you when they grow to trust you with their very selves because you have proven your love for them to be true. Now, I don't think that Jesus himself, the good shepherd, actually gives you the title pastor. Instead, I think Jesus gives you to his sheep. And if you love his sheep enough to care for them and feed them and even lay down your life for them, then and only then do the sheep give you the name pastor. Believe me, there are people all over the world who would say in a heartbeat, Travis Irwin is my pastor. Now, wouldn't you like to know someone like that? So over the next several episodes, I'm going to ask Dad to tell his story in his own words. We're going to talk about each decade of his life. I'm going to ask him all the questions I ever wanted to ask him about his life, what he felt, what he thought, what he learned. I'm going to ask him about his work, but also about fatherhood, marriage, and his spirituality. I'm going to ask him about his best moments and his worst. I'm going to ask him what he would do differently if he could and what he would never change. This podcast is really for me. I'm a father now myself, and more than ever, I want my dad's stories and wisdom to pass on to my own son. But I think that if you listen, dad's life will bless you too. So, after 70 years and not waiting one minute more, I give you the life and work of my dad in his own words. This is episode one, Travis Irwin, The Big Picture. I think ready, you're ready, you are, buddy. Yeah, I think you're an interesting subject. I think other people... I don't. I know, I know. But one of my, one of my goals here is to prove to you that you are an interesting subject. And okay. uh, that you're Good worth luck, knowing. And, yeah, you're worth knowing, and um, and people are. It's worth other people to know you. So, uh, there's some of this here that some some questions I'm going to ask you are questions maybe I've been curious about for a long time. I don't really know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first one I, I realized I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I don't think I've ever asked you is why did you choose to become a minister? <laughs> That's a good question. You need to start, you need to start answering now. Yeah. yeah, we've been recording the whole time, so. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, let's start start talking, man. About uh, I mean, I I honestly don't know why did you choose to become a minister. Uh, went to college. I started college in the fall of seventy. I mean, sixty eight at Lipscomb University. And uh, the first couple of years, I didn't know what I was going to do. But as time went along, I thought I'd like to get into accounting. I wanted to be in business. I wanted to just be blunt about it. I just wanted to make money. I thought, what is the quickest way I can make some good money? And uh, so I started started in accounting. And then <laughs> I went to my first accounting class. Let me, let me, let me preference it. I, didn't, I did not prepare in high school for accounting. I prepared for goofing off the rest of my life. So when I finally got to college and decided on a major, which was accounting, when I went to my first accounting class, I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. I felt like I was on another planet and they were speaking a different language. And then it dawned on me, I thought, you know, this accounting thing, this may not be a really good idea. But I kept going for a few days and the one of the best teachers in the world was the teacher there. But I finally changed. But you know, when you change your major, you gotta come up with something else. And of course, uh, during that time, uh, in 1970, your Uncle Richard married your Aunt Donna. And he was a church education guy and he loved it and he did he was very good at it. So I had a chance to talk to Richard and he's one of my original mentors. And I thought, you know, that really sounds interesting. I like church work. I like uh, I like education and I think I'll look into that. So when you, when I changed majors, I started running around with people that were Bible majors. You started becoming their friends. You know, and, and in the back of my mind, I always had an idea what the ideal preacher would be like or an ideal church worker would be like. But as, but as time went along, I just um, looked deeper into this church education thing. And that's, I thought, that's what I want to do. Just to be honest with you, I didn't have a clue what it all involved, okay? But what it did involve, I did like, and talking to Uncle Richard, it sounded really great, really good. And so I, I changed my major and made it Bible with the sub major, which is church education. And uh, I had some really good teachers. It was kind of a new thing at Lipscomb at the time, but I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the people. So I trained to be a church education director. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, then I ended up in preaching. Do you know that story about why, how I ended up in preaching? Uh, I know the story of how you ended up in preaching, but I wanna ask you, did you change your major? Cause you dropped out of college for a while, right? Well, the dean asked me to drop out for a while. Oh, was, really? I was one of these guys. I was uh, 20 years old, uh, 21 years old, and I was pretty cool. I had a cool car and cool clothes, and I thought I was pretty cool. And I did not attend classes like I should, and I broke your, mo your mammal's heart. Uh, anyway, I, I goofed off. And when, you, when your grades go down, the dean can say, the dean can say, you need some time off or don't come back for the next year. So yeah, that answers that question, but go ahead and ask, ask the rest of it. So when you came back, is that when you changed your I dropped, major? I dropped out of college. I was, I came, no, no, I, I really changed it. Um, I was thinking about changing it uh, in the process in 71. Uh, I got uh, very interested in a young lady at Lipscomb who graduated that year and moved back to Illinois. Um, that kind of sidetracked me and then I was out. Then of course, met your mom 
uh, in 72, married her in 73. Then I got back on track. I was in the process of changing my major. I got really serious about it when I got married. That's when my grades went up and everything went up. And of course I had to prepare for real life. Yeah. The, the exact logistics were not the, the logistics and the timing. I can't remember for sure, but I know in 71, I was preoccupied. 1969 and 70, I was preoccupied with something else. And 71, I was preoccupied. Then I was asked to step out and I went back and uh, went, went back in the, really I went back in the fall of 73. Okay. And then finished up a year and a half later. Okay. I didn't realize it was that late. All right. So we're going to come back to that in a later episode, but later I want to go episode. back to your, okay. That, that's how you got into ministry in the first place. But now I want right. to talk about the decades of work that you've done in ministry, because mm -hmm. I think that's what most people will know you for is, oh, okay. is your ministry. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a few quick questions here. And these are probably going to really make you think hard. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? All right. So, uh, how many sermons have you preached? <laughs> oh man. Let's take a, let's take a <laughs> guess at that. Well, uh, in, in Akron, in Akron, Ohio, it would be five and a half years worth. If that's a hundred for about a hundred sermons a year, it's about 150 sermons there. And then Caddis, Ohio was only 13 months. And that would be like probably not, not very many. What the 13 months times what? How many weeks is in 13 months? 52 weeks, 54, 56. About, about, about 100, 100 more sermons. Uh, Akron, Ohio would have been uh, 520, 530 sermons. And then Kansas would be about 100. And then Ashland, Ohio it would be 20, 22 and a half years times that many weeks and also in Ashland we uh towards the end we had I got to preach twice on Sunday morning so I got to preach three times on Sunday and you can just figure that up uh I'm not that smart uh that's a lot of weeks <laughs> you're talking about two three two three thousand twenty four hundred sermons that's so a lot yeah so basically that's you were you were in the pulpit from 74 January 75 to okay. January uh, 2004. Okay. I took 2004 off entirely. All right. Didn't so, okay, about th almost 30 years then. 30 yeah. years times 100. So, at least 3,000 sermons. Right. At you least. Let's also understand when I, when I was in college preparing to do church. Involved, church involvement, church education work. I preached for several little churches outside of Nashville. Now that wasn't on a regular basis, but there was some preaching in there. So, you know, I, I'm kind of in my 50th year this year, but if, if you go back to age 19, yeah, but you know, full-time work goes back to January, 1975, Akron, Ohio, where you were born that yeah. following Christmas. Yeah. Day, Christmas, yeah. So we, we somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000 sermons you've probably preached in your lifetime. Somewhere in there between. Easy. You've preached, you've preached since you stopped doing it full time. Um, weddings, funerals, right. you know, special stuff. All right. Now, here's one that's going to be impossible for you to, to calculate. But I have a calculator. Just let's, no, no. I do too. I just used it a second ago. But how many personal Bible studies? 
in your lifetime yeah. do you think that you've you've held and this one you're probably just going to have to take a stab at take a take a guess um i would i don't know if it, i don't know if it'd be hundreds but it would be at least a hundred maybe a couple of hundred that's where where we had where we had our best work was ashland ohio i always had at least one bible study going always sometimes two and so uh generally speaking um, most of those people obeyed the gospel and uh i've never i've never sat down and counted them so it's just mm -hmm. not i can't give, can't give you a figure yeah but for 22 and a half years if i had a bible study at least one bible study a week and those Bible studies will last anywhere from eight, eight to 14, 20 weeks. Whenever the person was either the person told me to leave or they were ready to obey the gospel. So, um, I don't, yeah, that's a difficult question. So you said uh, hundreds. Yeah. I would have figured there would be at least one Bible study for every sermon you preached, because thinking back over the years that I lived at home with you, you were, if you, let's say you preached one sermon a week, yeah. Actually, you preach too, but you know, let's just say we're thinking about Sunday mornings. I feel like you were out on a Bible study at least once a week. I was during that time. So if you, you know, and I know that you've continued to do that. So I would, I would have guessed that personal Bible studies for you would have been in the thousands, not the hundreds. Well, I wish it had been thousands. But if, it yeah. had been, if, if it had been thousands and people had obeyed the gospel the church to be a lot larger, larger than it was. The, uh, this, I hate to use the word, word success, but the success rate was very high, about 98 or 99%. And that's not a bragging on my part because the powers in the gospel is not in me. But uh, there came a time at the, towards the end of my ministry in Ashland where, that, where the, ability, the, the ability to set up Bible studies was, diff, was becoming more difficult. Hmm. And I see that right now vividly all these years later in this culture today hmm. people just aren't open but i but a lot of a lot of the bible studies i got back in the day were because people would come visit the church and or they had friends there who invited them so the connection was there mm -hmm. but we had but uh, just about everybody i asked if i could study with them i mean like 99.5 percent would say yes let's study hmm. Hmm. we've studied and, and they'd obey the gospel so let me ask you this question then if you can't figure out how many bible studies you've had how many people do you think you've baptized about the same number uh there are people there are people that come forward on sunday morning you know children mm -hmm. uh, you know i don't know i'd say you could probably double that double that amount yeah um some preachers keep up with their baptisms, their funerals and all that. I used to keep yeah. up with that and I stopped it after a while. I used to keep up with church attendance. I finally gave in, stopped doing that too. Mm. I didn't, I didn't want to glory in numbers. I just wanted to glory in what the Lord was doing. Yeah. And uh, when you get into numbers, you start comparing. And when you get into numbers, you get, you get anxious because the numbers go up and down. Yeah. I let that go. Yeah. Yeah. So hundred, I, I, I'm guessing maybe you've baptized hundreds plural yeah through, yeah through the years and i was gonna ask you how many weddings and funerals do you think you've officiated in your probably, lifetime probably more funerals than uh, weddings probably twice as many funerals yeah uh most congregations then and even even more so today are made up of older people 
and the older people are, are the ones that, that die. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And so I did a lot of funerals. We had a lot of people that died of cancer, did funerals for them. Uh, weddings, probably about a, about a third or a half of that. I, I have no clue how many, how many, son. Uh, I would say a hundred easy, but there may be two or 300. I did a lot of funerals for, uh, not funerals. I did, I did funerals for people I didn't know. I did a lot of weddings for people I didn't know. They just yeah. called me in and said, would you do our wedding? Sure, come in, let's do premarital. Yeah. But uh, what is so neat, I'm going to deviate. So what is so neat about Facebook is that a lot of the people that I, some of them that I taught baptized are on there, but a lot of people are on there that I did their wedding for, you know, 30, 35 years ago. It's kind of hard to imagine it's been that long, but it's been that long. And, and I see their kids and I see their grandkids. It's a very rewarding thing. But anyway, I'm, getting, I'm deviating, so let me get back. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have that information. I, well, I know to, I didn't expect you to, but I, I just thought it would be fun to try to try to take a guess at a number. Right. Uh, you know, just, I mean, even hundreds to say you've done a hundred weddings over, oh, you know, almost 50 years or right. hundreds of funerals, because like you said, more people die in a church every year than they get married. Generally speaking, um, just to think about how many, how you've been there for so many people um, over, over the course of your life. It's just amazing. But, you know, how many people get to, to say that they were there for that many right. weddings or funerals? Um, so, some, some preachers are, they do a lot of weddings. They're very popular and have a lot of contacts and net, big network and they do very well. That just wasn't in my vocabulary. Uh, I used to I used to keep a re- had these little books. I kept uh, records and I kept uh, put my appointments in them. And I had a whole stack of these things. They're gone. I threw them out. Yeah. I still have two or three, but I just don't keep up with that stuff. And I, I didn't I didn't go looking for weddings, and most preachers don't. But anyway. Okay. I enjoyed all that. The, the funerals were pretty were pretty tough because is when you're a minister and you preach for some place for 20, for five, 10 or 20 years, you get close to those people and those funerals become harder to do because mm. they're people that you do their funerals for are friends. Yeah. Yeah. So how many on that note, how many, how many times do you think you've been in a hospital or a jail or a nursing home to visit someone? Hundreds, thousands. Um, uh, when I was in, it was that when I was in Ashland, I keep coming back to Ashland because I was there 22 and a half years. I was always visiting somebody for something, maybe three o'clock in the morning in the ER. It may be uh, when they're having surgery. It may be uh, when they're getting ready to go home. It may be when they had a baby. It could, it could be any number of times. But uh, in Ashland, our hospital was just about a mile from the house. You know that when we live in town. And uh, I just, I just drive up there and walk in and I may go to the hospital more than once during the day. So you're talking about, you're talking about, you're talking about literally thousands of times, uh, that, uh, I've been to the hospital. I had a schedule. We had 100 retired people in Ashland, 100 son, Hmm. about 10 or 12 of those were shut-ins quote unquote. Yeah. I had a schedule. I made sure every old person was visited at least once a year, sometimes twice, three times, four times, 12 times or more a year. 
Of course, your older people are the ones that end up in the hospital in Cleveland, Columbus, you know, Cincinnati, wherever it was. And I went, th went there as well, but nursing homes, hundreds, thousands of times. Yeah. 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 And I, I did a lot of, I did a lot of pastoring. That's what's called pastoral work. And I did mm -hmm. a lot of that. I felt that was important. And I've seen, I've seen older people neglected and uh, I didn't want that to happen. Not on my watch anyway. It, it, it didn't happen. How many people, uh, how many times were you uh, present to see someone take their last breath? Uh, I'd say dozens of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Not a pleasant thing. Were you, when you started out, in ministry in 1975, did you have a, a strong, you know, a strong passion for visiting the sick and the old and the shut-ins and the dying? Uh, was that something that at the start you were like, yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, you were looking forward to it or is it <coughs> just kind of developed over time as you, as you did the work? Well, you got to remember, let's go back and, bring up a little detail. I, I trained to be a church involvement. And I, I keep saying involvement because that's what I'm doing now. I trained to be a church education director. That's what I really wanted to do. That didn't work out. Uh, I was offered a job in Texas to do that, plus work with youth and be, a char and be in charge of the bus ministry there. And But then uh, I started trying out for jobs where there, were, there, there was preaching involved. In fact, really, uh, the people in Akron came to me and I really didn't want to preach because I'd been a preacher's son and had kind of a negative feel about that, even though I had a strong opinion of what preachers should be like. But I ended up going to Akron, Ohio and preaching. And I don't resent that. I don't regret that. When I first started preaching, I had kind of a general clue what I was supposed to do with my time. <laughs> uh, and I mean a very general clue, okay? But I learned really quick. And what I learned early in ministry is that the people that are most accessible during the day are older people. Hmm. Some of the sweetest people in the church are the older people. Not just the, the younger people aren't, but I mean, older people are obviously very sweet people. And so I would visit the older people during the day and at night I'd visit the younger people and hold studies and get to know them, get to know them better. And we got into everybody's home pretty much, had meals together and things like that. So going back to your original question, it was a learning process. I had a general idea and uh, I had some help. Uh, Charles Pugh is another good mentor of mine and Charles helped me a tremendous amount. He was about uh, five or 10 miles away over in Cuyahoga Falls at the time. So over the Lord was in all this, you know, and he was developing me and helping me. And, and, and uh, I think I did a good work in Akron, but I think I did a better work probably in Ashland. I keep coming back to that, but that's just the way it is. More mature, more knowledgeable, more experienced, more faith. Yeah. When I think about it, you spent your entire life going places that no one else wants to go. Nobody yeah. wants to go to the ER at three in the morning. Nobody right. wants to see someone take their last breath. Nobody likes to go to nursing homes. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the people that I remember that you went to see were not people that you know, you, you went to the jail, you still go to the jail. Like, do you ever get used to that? I mean, you, you have spent your life going places that nobody else really wants to go. 
and it from it from the outside it looks like you i don't know if enjoy it is the right word but you're drawn to it and you keep doing it have you have you gotten used to it or does it still does it affect you uh, emotionally and physically yeah uh, first of all, Jesus Christ went to a lot of places he didn't want to go. Yeah. And ultimately it was the cross cross. So he's the example. Um, uh, I, I felt that it, this sounds horrible, but it's true. I felt it was my responsibility as a church leader to do those things. I didn't see anybody else doing them. And I, I also thought that if I do this, maybe they'll do it. Hmm. Maybe they'll come along. Uh, and as time went along, just to be, I'm going to be blunt with you. Uh, a lot of times my motivations were not pure. They were because nobody else would do it or because I was hoping somebody else would do it. But as time went along, I came to love people and that was my motivation. Do I, is it easier to do today than it was uh, 40 years ago when we were uh, 45 years ago when we were in Akron? Absolutely. Uh, have have more calmness, more more peace uh, than I used to be. I have a lot more experience, but a lot of this just I have a lot more peace, and I can walk into a very difficult situation. Um, I don't I don't do a lot of that now. I've done some. Our our pulpit man does a lot of it. He and I are a team. We'll go together. Uh, but there's some there's some there's some difficult things we we still do, and I still do, and I just. I just chalk it up to um, experience and faith, and uh, I mean, I've faced my own death, so yeah, that's the way it is. That's the way I look at it. But I I do a lot of it because I love people here, and um, one of the reasons I burned out in two thousand three and two thousand four is because of the emotional strain, and I'm not a, I don't have a good personality for doing what I did. And uh, another thing is I neglected myself. I used to blame everybody else for my problems, and I'm getting off here a little bit, but I've learned that um, if you don't take care of yourself, you'll drain yourself and there'll be nothing left for you or anybody. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I've learned some lessons there. Yeah, uh, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to ask you more about that in a, in a future episode because all that wisdom we, we want to we want to get out. I just think one of the most interesting things about the your life's work is you're one of the most nervous, uptight people that I know. <laughs> you, you seem like the, the kind of person who would have a really hard time uh, doing the things you do. And yet, in my mind, you are the champion of going into these really difficult situations where people are in having crises in their lives, surgery, emergency room, dying in, in prison, you know, aging alone. You're like, and so I think about my own personality. I'm a lot calmer than you. And those things raise my blood pressure so much. And then you are, you know, a nervous uptight personality. Uh, but you have spent your lifetime going and ministering to people who are in these crises. And I, I just think that's so fascinating and want to explore that more. But I want to I change gears and ask this question. We've talked a little bit about what you recall um, 
about your, your, your time in ministry. Um, but over those 45 years, over those 45, 50 years, and all the people that have known you, what do you think they, they know you for the most? What do you think you're remembered for the most by all these people that, that have known you over the years? Uh, probably that I was uptight and, and really going, going 90 miles an hour all the time. Uh, you think so? Well, whenever, uh, I can only give you a limited amount of people that would say something like that. That is whenever I've changed jobs, I give references and usually the references are, are, are to the previous elders under which I work. And every time that future elders have talked to the previous elders, the, the previous elders have always said, he's a workaholic. Yeah. He, he probably does too much. Yeah. But that, now that's, that's elders. True. But if I think back to, let's say Ashland, yeah, you know, 300 plus people in that congregation, right. uh, they weren't with you in elders meetings and they didn't see what you did with your time. Uh, the people in the community beyond the church, what do you think people, the, the, the normal people that didn't know you on a professional level, they just knew you because you were their preacher or you visited them. I mean, what, what would you say people remember you for? Uh, one, one young man told me years ago, this was in Akron. He says, you are the real deal. Hmm. And I and I, I didn't know how to take that. I was probably not even, not even 30 years old. And, but I took that as a compliment and I've had other people tell me you care. Uh, sometimes they said nobody else cares, but you you cared. You were there, and so that's I don't I don't live to get compliments. That's not my purpose for being here. Uh, never has been, never will be. But that is in a way gratifying. It's kind of can make you that can make me have the big head too. But it's gratifying because people realize I cared, and that's that's the bottom line of me. I just I cared. I cared for people. I still care for people. Um. Anyway. Does that answer your question pretty much? Yeah, it does. And I, I agree. That's, that's what I've said about you. So that's, that's interesting. What kind of people then have you noticed are drawn to you as you, <laughs> as you worked? Cause we've kind of had a joke uh, yeah. in our family for a while right. that we, we attract crazy, <laughs> which, <laughs> um, but you know, cause, but what kind of people have been drawn to you? over the last 40, 50 years? It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, it may be kind of hard to answer that. Uh, some, some people have kind of a um, caricature of preachers and people in ministry. And sometimes I feel like people are avoiding me okay, mm -hmm. or have avoided me. Hmm. But that once you get to know me, you know that I really care, you're going to start taking an interest in me and my family as well. And that's the normal people. Yes, we do. In fact, I, I, it's just not an Irwin thing. It's a it's a thing with people uh, that really care. You tend to attract people that are a little different. Okay, we'll we'll put it that way. But the the normal people, everyday everyday people uh, that are drawn to me right now, where I'm at right now, even though I'm not a pulpit minister, are the people that I really care for, that I keep mm -hmm. up with. 
they there there are some people in the church and they're the lovely people they're wonderful people and uh they're a great blessing to my life they just don't realize it they're just too busy for me mm-hmm. they really don't need me and that's okay I, i'm okay with that and they're growing and developing developing in a great christian uh, men and women so i don't have a problem with that they don't need me uh so the people that I'm, they're drawn to me are people that, that I really care for. They know I care for them. And, uh, I have a, a real special friend right now and he, he has recognized me for what I really am. And, uh, and I'm very close to him, but he's, he's one of the, one out of, one out of a million. He is, you know, he, he's taking the time. He's very insightful and he just, you know, he, he realizes what I really am. And that that's gratifying. I don't need for everybody to feel that way. Okay. For me to, to exist or for me to function, but he does. And that means a lot to me. He's a, mm-hmm. someone in the church. He's a real close friend, a, a parishioner. It's a close friend. It's a very rare thing. I don't know if that answered your question or not, but there you go. Well, it does. And uh, it sets me up for the next question. What kind of people are you drawn to? Like over these, over these decades of, of work, what kind of people as you come into a, a church, you know, you come into a room or you come into a community, what kind of people attract your attention and make you want to come near them? When I, uh, uh, when I was younger, especially, um, it's, it's still, it's still evolving. I used to, I used to att- attempt to meet everybody. I didn't care what color they were. I didn't care how young they were, how old they were. If they were deformed physically, they spoke a different language. I didn't care. I thought that is God's creature. I really didn't care if they were a Christian or not. I just wanted wanted to tell them who I was, and make a have a relationship with them. Um, I have over the over the years, there are some people uh, that have a very strong personality. Uh, in my in the involvement ministry, we call that the lion, okay? And the lion is many times self-centered and, and a little loud and very opinionated. And uh, I'm married to a lioness, and she, but she's a spiritual, godly lioness. But there are some people in the church that aren't spiritual, like your mom. And so when I walk in the room, and, and those lions are there, and they're taking over the they're taking over the room, and they're just all over the place. I don't go after the lion. Now, if the opportunity comes, and the lion is available, I will go up and introduce myself. Uh, but I have I have many friends here that are lions, and they're 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 really godly men godly women and i enjoy being around them but they're so busy going all over the place and being lions that i, I can't build a relationship with them necessarily and that that's not a criticism of them that, that's, that's just their personality but they're but I'm, I'm drawn to quiet people i'm drawn to people who are lone, lonely maybe don't have any friends on sunday morning i don't go to the popular people in the church i go to the people uh, the li- I call them the little people. They're not little people in God's sight, but they're the little people. They're they don't have any friends, and I, I spend time with them and and t- ask them questions and show an interest in their lives. And I'm very close to them. They're very close to me as a result. The other people, they grew up here. They had their families here. They had their friends here. They went to school with the same people, you know, 100 years ago or 50 years ago, 30 years ago. They're they're set, but it's the people in the room that don't have anybody that I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. And because I've, I was a real loner when I was younger. So maybe I'm rambling now. So no, no, I, I can see that. Um, do you ever feel like this question wasn't on my sheet, but you made me think, 
you know, because you have spent so much of your life with, uh, like I, I said a few minutes ago, you, uh, you, you go places nobody else wants to go, right? Uh, and you spend time with people in those places. And, and you said that you're drawn to people that are kind of on the margins or they're the quiet ones or they're not the obvious ones. Was there ever a time in your, in your life where you felt like you were missing out on some, th- on some relationships that you wanted for yourself or some things you wanted for yourself because you were uh, giving so much of your energy and time to, um, to people that were not really able to give anything in return? Um, you're, you're making me reflect back to the days of high school now, and maybe even to elementary school. I was a quiet child. I was kind of a shy, a, sh- a very shy child. And as a result, I never was real popular. I mean, I had friends, but you know, I wanted to be with the cool kids, but I never was a part of the cool kids. Even when I go back to my high school reunions, I am not a part of the clique. I'm not a part of that group. They grew up together since kindergarten. I didn't show up until the seventh grade but they're sweet people and they're accepting uh, wonderful people. But I always wanted to be a pop a part of that group. And bringing that up to 2020, uh, there's a part of me that still wants to be a part of the group. What, uh, but it's not as important anymore. What I, what I really lo- would like to have is that the people in, in the in group would at least speak to me and acknowledge that I'm in the room. And uh, one of the hardest things I've had to deal with, with being an associate minister, and that's what I am, is that I was in the pulpit for 30 years. I was the go-to guy. I was the man. And that sounds arrogant to say that, but I'm just saying that's the way it was. I knew everybody. Everybody knew me. I was, I was, I was, I was everywhere. But now it's not the case. And we're living in a different world today than I was 30 and 40 years ago, too. So. Um, What's important to me right now is to uh, have a close relationship with the Lord, number one, number two, with your mom, number three, with your kids. The church is, is in the top five or ten, and people are too, but my, my whole attitude has changed. And it's not as, it's, I, don't, I don't have to be a part of the clique. I don't have to be a part of the, the most popular group in the church or at work or anywhere. I don't have to be. I'm, 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 happy. I'm happy with where I am. I'm happy with myself, just the way I am. If, I, if they want me to be a part of it, I'll be a part of it. If they don't, that's okay, too. I can live with it. We're all God's people. We all love each other. Let's work hard where we are. Let's enjoy the ride, and one day we'll be together forever. That's kind of the way I look at things. Yeah, it's interesting because earlier in the conversation, uh, I, I don't re- recall the words that you used exactly, but you talked about... Uh, something to the effect of when you're the preacher, when you're the, when you're the main man, when you're the guy, uh, how uh, you kind of alluded how difficult it can be to form relationships with people or yeah. people look at you a certain way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then just now you were talking about you're the associate minister now, but you used to be, the the pulpit minister for many years and you were the main guy. And so it sounds like one of the, one of the biggest parts of your personal journey 
has been going all the way back to kindergarten and seventh grade in high school, you wanted to be, you wanted to be in, right? You wanted to be accepted and sought out and, and embraced as part of, you know, have it together. And you ended up being, you know, from an outsider's point of view, a very successful leader of a growing church for 20 plus years where you were, you were popular. I mean, you were the main guy. You had a pulpit every Sunday morning and Sunday night and the church grew and people knew you. You were the main man. And yet during that time, you struggled with um, loneliness and not really feeling like people could relate to you on a, on a human level. And then you burnt out and moved away from that and you became the associate minister eventually at the church where you are now. And it sounds like you've had a little internal struggle with being not the main man anymore. Yeah. So yeah, there's, this, there's this thread that goes through your whole life from kindergarten to now. And it's really uh, about how you're developing as a human being and who right. you are in this world and how right. you relate to other people. So that's right. something I want to explore a little further, but um, that's going to be left for a later conversation. Okay. Because uh, as we kind of start to set things up for those conversations, I want to ask you, what do you think has been your greatest decade? <laughs> my your greatest great, decade in yeah, my when life? You were, yep. So it's kind <clears throat> of interesting because you were born on, in 1950, yeah. retiring in 2020. So you have right. this nice... Every, you know, 70 year, your life is neatly divided into these, these Seven decades. Yeah, segments. So when you look back on the decades of your life, which decade would you say was your best decade? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's a fair question because every decade had blessings in it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, uh, the one I enjoy the most is when your kids came along. That was in 75, 78, 83. Yeah. So, I scratch my back. I need a back scratcher. Anyway, uh, when you kids were born, y'all were all born within, uh, what, 10 years of each other? Eight. I guess that'd be right. Um, I mean, each, each decade, I mean, and I, I have actually divided my life up and, and talked about when I was when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s. I mean, every decade had, had some great blessings in it. Even when I was 66 and sick as a dog and I thought I was going to die, uh, there was a blessing in there. Yeah. So, and I, and I'm looking forward to the seventies cause I think I'm going to be retired and be traveling. So that's really hard. It's really, I, I had to take, I, I could take each decade and tell you what I think the highlight was of each decade, but to say one, one is above the other. I don't think I could do that. Okay. I really, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to fight you. I'm just trying to say, I just don't think I could do it, but I, my life's been a real, I've had a blessing. I've enjoyed every decade of my life. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean there were some sad times. There were a lot of sad times, but, uh, and challenging times, but they're, they're just numerous blessings. A lot of people like to think in their thirties and forties mm-hmm. and, and that, that, those are great, but the fifties were good too. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, so what would it be an easier question if I asked what was your hardest decade? Uh, yeah. well, my hardest decade was probably, uh, uh, that's a hard question there too. Uh, probably, um, that was 2000. 
um, I had some had some issues in the two from 2000, 2004, 2005 because I burned out. Yeah. Uh, the Lord bought, brought me back around in 2005 when I moved to Brushy. 2016 was a hard year. Yeah. Your yeah. Day was a hard year. For obvious reasons. Um, yeah. I would have guessed the first decade of the new century would have really? been your hardest. Why is that? Uh, that's when you, you burned out and you, you left Ashland and you kind of had your wilderness wandering there for, for a little while. And, uh, you know, all of us were, Bethy was gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah all of us gone. kids were gone and, uh, it was just a, a real turning point in your life. Um, what would you then say is the decade where you grew the most? <laughs> Probably the same decade. You think the, the, the same, the, the decade of, uh, the burnout and then the decade where I had cancer, hmm. but any one of the, either one of those would just, just catapult to me, you know, uh, here, here was a man in 2003 had neglected himself, but he neglected his relationship with the Lord. Well, that's just suicide. what that is. So I learned why that happened. It, it took a few years to learn that what had happened, but I knew pretty much at the very beginning. And then when I had cancer, and I was thinking I was going to die, I drew close to the Lord. So only when you draw close to the Lord do you grow. See you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So pardon the tears. That's it's part okay. Of the, part of the cancer. They're it's good. They're they're good. They're cleansing. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm watching the time. It's interesting that <laughs> I think most people assume that you grow the most when you're young, but you've just said that, you know, as you turn 70 this year, the last, the oldest part of your life is the part where you grew the most, which I think is hopeful. You know, when I'm for I'm in my forties, the right. idea that my greatest growth could is still in front of me yet, yet to be is is hopeful um so tell me tell me tell us those who are listening to this if you were to look back on your life when were you at the top of your game <laughs> like what's what's number one on the highlight reel of, of travis Irwin at his best and at the top of his game well i like to think it's now um I'm not used or utilized as much as I could be. That's we could d debate all day whose fault that is. I think I have more to offer now than ever before. However, I was uh, running wide open. I was running wide open in my forties, uh, mid forties. I was running wide open. Man, I, life was great. It was good. I had wonderful kids. Still do. Um, Live in a nice house, live in a town that I love. We knew everybody in town, they knew us. Uh, baptizing people right and left. Uh, I was teaching and preaching. I just, I just really enjoyed it. Um, was I mature? Well, evidently not because I burned that in 2003. Okay. So, but so far as maybe an outsider's looking in, They'd say that was your best time. Those, those were your best mm -hmm. years. You were you were at the top, man. You were. I always I always had this thing. I always, I always wanted to be at my uh, best form at age thirty five. I wanted to write a book, become famous, and yeah, I'll be at my pinnacle at thirty five. Not wrong. 
wrong. That may be that may be true with some people, but I think I'm at the pinnacle now. I have so much to offer. It's scary. And your mother and I, when we retire, we're hoping that we will be used. I don't think we're being used fully here, and that's okay. We're not we're not angry. We're not resentful. Uh, but it's, it's it's the position we're in. There's a lot of other factors too. But we want to we want we we have God has blessed us so richly with so many things, and I don't mean material things. I mean knowledge and wisdom and experience that comes with age that we don't want to waste it any longer. And we're just going to sit and wait for him to show us what we need to do. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It actually sets me up for another question. Um, why should anyone listen to you? <laughs> what, <laughs> well, what, what have you learned that you think other people really need to know? I have learned that the most important relationship is with the Lord. Learn that the hard way. <clears throat> I preached on it and taught on it like crazy when I was your age and younger, but it wasn't until the few past few years I realized it. It comes in really solid and loud. Yeah, this is important, and this is what it looks like now. You can tell people what it looks like and what it sounds like and what they need to do, and uh, that's the most important thing. And But they, they can learn that on their own. They may have to learn it the hard way. But they can learn it. They open God's word. They can learn it on their own. That's what it's all about. Uh, I have learned. I used to be. I, I tell people I'm a recovering legalist, and that's true. And some people may not like to hear that, but that's true. And at at the first of my ministry and first of my life, everything was about rules. And there's a place for rules and structure, okay. But but I've learned since that time, over a period of time, over the past forty years, forty five years, that it's it's about relationship. God's interested in a relationship. He was interested in a relationship in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve weren't. Does that sound familiar? And you know the rest of that story. And God's constantly trying to pull us back. And I've learned that's what he's interested in. Are the rules important? Yes, they are, because they give structure to our lives, and we learn how to please God through the rules. But it's not about the rules. It's about relationship. It's about God's grace. And some people have not discovered that yet. They like being religious because it's kind of comfortable, but it won't get them won't get them very far anywhere in life. So that's I think that's why people should listen because been I've tried been done the religious thing, I've done the rule thing, didn't work. Uh, and but this relationship thing is a lot easier and more pleasant and more fun, and I have a lot more peace. And uh, it's, it's, it's a great blessing. And that's what God wanted to begin with. I should have just listened more. Mm-hmm. should have read the story a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Sounds like maybe your plans earlier in life got in the way. Well, my focus was incorrect. Uh, I, like to th- uh, I like to think I was pretty sharp, pretty knowledgeable guy. Just because my, dad's, my dad was a preacher and I knew a lot of Bible does not mean a whole lot. I think it's a great blessing, don't misunderstand, but it's not guaranteed that you're spiritual, and that you have a relationship with God, and that you are where you need to be. But I had to learn that. Uh, I had to learn that. I started learning that when I moved to Akron, Ohio. Hmm. And it became more obvious when I came to Ashland than when I left Ashland. Well, I, I got one more question for you in this session, um, and then we'll, we'll call it a day for today. Okay. What would you say is your personal creed? My personal creed. Your personal creed, the the phrase that most shapes your life. 
the rule that you live by? Uh, put here, put here by God and for God. Put here by God for God? Or God's purpose. What's God's purpose for my life? Um, I've always felt that way. But now that I'm in involvement, I know that was correct. And I am 100% correct. That's what the Bible teaches. We're here not for us. We're here for each other. Don't misunderstand. But we're ultimately here for him. For his purpose. And it's only when we realize that that we're actually happy and blessed. Christ said, he who finds himself will lose himself. He who loses himself shall find himself. So when we just wake up to the realization and stop listening to all this fluff and all this junk out here, we wake up to the realization that I'm here not for me, but for him to please him. Then the lights come on and I realize what life's all about and I'm a happier person and, and life's good. And, uh, and that's, that's what I would, uh, that's how, that's how I put things. Um, but, uh, I hope that helps you. That's good. All right. So we're going to, we're going to come back and revisit all these things as we look at each decade of your life and what happened in each decade and what you learned from it, um, and how you've carried that wisdom forward, uh, to where you are now. Okay. Uh, and that's going to be, uh, that's going to be coming next, but thank you for, answering all these questions today and sharing your story and your heart and your wisdom. And I know that everyone who listens to this is going to benefit richly uh, from you uh, and what you have to teach. So we'll be back here. We'll be back here with the 1940s or I don't know. We'll, we'll start with some, we'll pick a decade from your life. We might pick the nineties since you like the nineties and then, and then we'll go out of order, but, Whatever you want to do. Lots of wisdom will, will be coming and funny, okay. entertaining, interesting stories too. Okay. Yeah. You know more of those than I do. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about, or at least I know the stories. Now we can get the inside scoop on those stories from the man himself. Thank you for hanging out with my dad and me over the last 45 minutes. And uh, no doubt the interviews and production quality will get better as we get more practice at this. And I think the stories and wisdom will be well worth it, even if they don't get any better. In the next episode, we're going to go back to the start. And I mean all the way back. In fact, we're going to go back beyond the start. I'm going to ask dad about the decade before he was born, the 1940s. What were his parents doing during that decade, and how did that shape the family in which he would grow up in the 1950s and 1960s? I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you'll join us again next time.